Welcome back to What's in Your Glass. We are excited to have you and have amazing conversations. This is an extension of the show we started last year, and we're so excited to get going again. We have some great guests lined up, and we know you'll enjoy starting today with filmmaker Shaka King. So sit back and enjoy the show. All right, all right, all right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to What's in Your Glass. I'm your host, as you know, Carmelo Anthony. Before we get going, though, let's first welcome today's guest. You know him as an acclaimed director, screenwriter, producer, whose groundbreaking film, Judas and the Black Messiah, was nominated for five Academy Awards. So please welcome to the show, Shaka King, my brother. Thank you for having me. Hey, cheers, cheers, my cheers, brother. Sir. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome, thank, welcome. Thank, thank, thank Absolutely. What, uh, what you drinking on over there, man? That, that's what I want to know. What's in your glass? All right. So I never had this before. My boy Damien, Damien Reed, shut up, my man Damien Reed, put me on to this. What's it say? Saragia, Fanino, Cataracto, <laughs> e Pignatello. Very long, that's, very that's, long. That sounds Italian. <laughs> uh, he said it's a mix of red and white grapes. Oh, wow. I've um, never, he, I never heard he of that. Knows I hadn't either. I hadn't either. He, uh, he's, you know, this is my, my man who, um, he, I, I'd had natural wine, but he is a natural wine, you know, maniac. Um, and so he knows I like the chilled reds. He was like, I got a nice chilled red. For you. He's like, He's <laughs> with that bottle. Yeah. I, I, I never had, I never had natural wine. Um, I, I hear great things about it, but I never had, I never had it uh, myself. Uh, but I also ain't never have a wine that was red and white grapes together. Right. Like, <laughs> right. you right. know, right. at least at least not at least not knowing it. You know what I'm saying? Natural wine, I I love it because I'm a person who I just like beverages. You know what I mean? Like I'm just I'm a person who just drinks cold beverages all day long. You know, in general. So because of that, alcohol can be tricky for me because. I like liquid, you know what I mean? So I want to be able to keep going, you know? Uh, and and so, you know, what I like about the natural wine is that you could drink a little bit more and not feel the adverse side effects um, because it doesn't have the sulfites. And and uh, the other thing I like about it is, that, like, for example, I was saying on my boy last night and we had another bottle of something else. Um, and it's, it is, you know, like the reds can be really heavy. Absolutely. And thick. I like I, I like the the natural wine because a lot of times the chilled reds are just like big, like hot, like a table wine, right? Like just right. light, like you could just drink it all. It's juicy, it, it, and that just I like that a little bit more than the like leathery burgundy, you know, cigar accompaniment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's just too it's just too heavy. So you like the you you like the lighter wine. You like the lighter wine. And and in in the red wine world, that would be more of the like a Pinot, like a light Pinot in the world or something like that. I'm drinking today. I I just I'm celebrating you. So I'm gonna cheers with you. I got a I got a I got the you know the Moet Rose. So I'm a oh oh. So you know it's it's it's, you know I I figured you would be you would have something along these lines, but we cheering. I'm cheering you today. So cheers again. Cheers again, my brother. Salute, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. So now let's 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 um let's get to it, man. It's you know, I've I've I gotta start us off here. We we both Brooklyn boys. Uh I I'll say that. Um you you were born in Crown Heights and I you know and grew up in Best Star. Um 
Right? You was in Best Style, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, 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 I want to make sure I get that. Born, I born, sure. Cry, yeah, born, yeah, born in Cry Heights and, um, but, but, and lived there until I was three. Got it, and got I moved it. to Best Style when I was three, yeah. Got it. So I'm, I'm, I'm from the hook. I'm from Red Hook. Uh, so right, you know, right, right there. Um, yeah. What what was it? What was life like for you growing up in New York? I know what it was like for me, you know. And I moved yeah. out when I was nine, ten, eleven. Um, so, but what what was it like for you growing up in New York? It was so unique, you know. Um, I tell people all the time the best way I can sort of encapsulate my childhood is on the on one end of my block there was a doctor's office, and on the other end of my block, actually on a few a few crack houses on my block you know, for a while, but there was a major one at the other end of my block. And that to me encapsulates what it was like to grow up in Bed-Stuy in the eighties. You know, it was very much uh, like people talk about, you know, the neighborhood gentrifying. Um, and I think a lot of times people think about gentrification, they think about, you know, white people moving into a black neighborhood, but New York is a city that is constantly gentrifying. And a lot of times it was just gentrify along class lines, you know what I'm saying? So you know, in some ways, a, a, a lot of the, like upper middle class families, black families have started to buy up houses in, in, in Bed-Stuy because they were cheap at the time. You know what I mean? You can get a piece, you get a brownstone back then. My <laughs> uncle got a brownstones in Harlem, two for 40000 each, right. $40,000 each. You know what I mean? Like my, my parents got our brownstone, I think, for the, you know, between thirty dollars and $40,000. Now it was crazy looking, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but he got one, had, he, he got it, they got it. Beams. I mean, literally, until I was in college, I was in late high school, you could see from one room into the other room through, you know, the beam, you could, you know, it was, it was just, it was, it was decrepit and took, it was a fixer up, you know, but, but, you know, the neighborhood was just very diverse in the sense of economically, you had all types of black folks living next door to one another. Um, and I loved it. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have the, I didn't, my parents were public school teachers, you know, so they weren't rich, right? but the, I was the only one. So they had enough, you know? And I, I just feel like I had, you know, it's a very unique, uh, artistic in a lot of ways experience, you know, growing up in Brooklyn in the eighties. Um, how about, how about yourself? Red Hook was different. And, and, yeah. and <laughs> I'll tell you what, you know, for what for what I remember, you know, Red Hook was different uh, growing up, you know, in late 80s, early 90s, like the projects was on fire that, you know, just Red Hook was on fire. Um, but again, I didn't really I didn't know it. I just it was a, it was a part of my environment. It was a part of who I was. So, I, you know, I, I was in it. So, yeah, I didn't really feel affected by it because we always going through the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So we always had each other to lean on. If we needed rice, if we needed sugar, we needed bread, we used to go knock on, the, you know, on our neighbor's door next door. We all had the same issues at the end of the day. So we supported one another. We helped one another. We held each other down. But we had a community. We had a community. Had a community. And, but community. It, on the outside, now looking at it, it's like, yo, how the hell did... Yeah. We like we survived that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. It, it's yeah. crazy because... I remember hearing about Red Hook. Red Hook was one of those places when I was a kid. It was like... Red Hook, Brownsville, Bushwick during that time. Yes. I, mean, I remember I moved to Bushwick when I was 24 years old and I lived there for like 14 years. And I remember telling my friends from my old neighborhood from Best Side, they were like, why the fuck are you moving to Bushwick? <laughs> and I was like, hey, like, it's crazy with it. I was like, no, it's, it's, you know, it's not how it was when we were growing up, you know? But I remember, I remember, I didn't, I mean, it's crazy, because, you know, 
you could live in Brooklyn and not see so many other parts of Brooklyn. Like I didn't go to Red Hook until I, I had a job out there when I was in my early 20s. That was my first time going there. <laughs> You know, well, I know a lot of people now to this day that still won't go to Red Hook. So that's a whole nother. And, <laughs> and Red Hook is Red Hook is changing. It's, it's totally changing right now. You understand? Yeah, but yeah, I know yeah. people to this day that won't go to Red Hook. But I, I love yeah. I just love hearing, you know, kind of talking about like old places in in New York. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's so yeah. much. It's so much rich history. It's so, it's, you know, it's yeah. just so many people that we can talk about. So many areas that we can talk. I about. love New York so much, man. You, you know how it is like. The old, it's just, and I think we, I think everybody who grows up in New York romanticizes the time that they were there, of their youth when they were there. Like, my New York is very different than, you know, my mother's New York. Oh, you know facts. what I mean? Facts. Um, and, and it'll be very different, you know, knocking what I have kids, knocking what I have kids someday and I, my kids, you know, are raised in New York. It'll be very different from their New York, you know? Um, but I do feel like they're those common, common threads, even though I feel like also the accents, we're losing the accents, mm. you know, like there's certain tone tonalities. Like my mother, there are times when my mother says something and she sounds like, you know, like a Jewish woman from Queens, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because like, that's that accent that <laughs> black people have. And, you know, like you meet black people from New York, you're like, how do you sound like that? You know, and, and those accents are, they're, they're dying. You know right. what I mean? Like, you're not going to hear that, act, but the Brooklyn accent, <laughs> that's just going to be gone in like 20 years. I agree with that. All those people are going to be dead. Yeah. You know? If you if you, if you you had to, because you mentioned Brownsville, you mentioned Bushwick, you you know, you mentioned these, these, these places. What, if you, if you had to pick one of the, of the, of the, of the one Brooklyn spot that you want, that you would want to shout out because they, they, they just, Held you down. They left an impact on you. They inspired you. What? What's that one place? We always busy. Best time. Best time. But it could be. It could be a restaurant. It could be a park. It could oh, be oh, a like studio. Like yeah, it could be a studio. It could be school. Anything. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you. It was really. It was 1084 Green Avenue, oh. which was um. It was the house I lived in with some of my best friends, artistic collaborators. I moved there when I was 24 years old. I lived there for 14 years. It was my best friend from high schools, his parents owned the building, Mr. and Mrs. Cherry. Um, and, you know, I'd known them since I was a child. I, I moved there and I just, you know, I had a lot of first, a lot of just like very fo formative experiences there artistically, personally, the deepest belly laughs I've ever had in my life <laughs> were in that, were in the, my man's basement, my man Cav's basement, shout out to Cav. Uh, and just that house, you know, my first movie, I, I that was essentially the, our our production office. My costume designer, Charlize, my roommate, she had all she was making the clothes and keeping the clothes in our apartment. My editor lived upstairs from me. You know, Cav and his sister were doing <laughs> background voice work on the movie. I mean, I I that place to this day, like we we always, and it wasn't just it was and it wasn't just the people who lived in that building. You know, we had these like speakeasies. You know, because Cav is an MC, and we we would have these just like parties and, and concerts in the in the house. You know what I mean? Oh, so you had a whole uh, you had a whole production company in the house before yeah, you yeah. even knew it. It was it was really like it was an it was truly an artistic community. That's the best way I can describe it. I mean, to this day, you know, people who pass through those through those walls, you know, through those halls, like 
they they talk about just the effect that, that that place had on all of us. Indeed. What was what what was your relationship with like with with sports or, or, or you know with the game of basketball growing up? It was I, I so you want know, something funny. <laughs> I thought I was convinced, convinced I was going to the NBA, convinced <laughs> till I was 16 years old and I saw hoop dreams and I was like, no, nah, I'm not mm. going to the NBA. I was like, yo, I was like, yo, they're way nicer to me. So I'm definitely not making, let me start taking school seriously. I was not, I was not taking school seriously. I didn't take anything seriously except basketball. I mean, we, we were, we were insane about it. You know, like, you know, like, you know, taking, I mean, you would play, Anywhere with anything, get the get the garbage, take the garbage, put it on the gate, get those like mini balls. You get a great adventure. Indeed. Now, now we, you know, we're like seven years old, eight years old, dunking on you. I'm dunking on you. You know what I mean? Get the wire hanger, put the Ooh, wire hanger on the wire hanger with the wire hanger with the, 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 the sock ball <laughs> over it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then and then sometimes you get. You know, you find a spot with the triangular door hinge. Yeah, oh, it's over after that. that. It's <laughs> over <laughs> after that. <laughs> play with everything. You play with everything. Man. It was the, it was everything. It's still. I mean, to this day, like it's it's. I, I just love the game, man. So even even though even though Jer- the Nets came from Jersey, right now mm-hmm. they now they're mm-hmm. Brooklyn's team. Mm-hmm. Knicks or Nets? Because Brooklyn, I'm gonna I'm I'm tell you. Because Brooklyn didn't have so Brooklyn didn't have Brooklyn me. didn't have the Nets back then. So so when the Nets came to Brooklyn at first, because they destabilized the area so much and building the stadium, I couldn't fuck with them. Oh, I was like, my friend's bar was there and it's closed now. I couldn't fuck with them. But then after Dolan let Oakley out in cuffs, you can't fuck with done. them either. <laughs> done. Done for life. For life. Like, I, you know, I have no problem with the players on that team at all. I mean, I I was really happy to see them have the kind of season they had this year. But I hate that team because of what they did to Charles Oakley. I mean, truth be told, like, I had a problem with them not retiring John Stocks number. And I love Steph. But it was like, yo, this this dude embodied just like I just feel like as a, as an organization, they have and James Dolan specifically has no respect, no respect for the for the players on that, that play for his organization. Fucking Patrick Ewan, you got Patrick Ewan getting carded. What is going on? Right? You know what I mean? So, so I became I became a Nets fan. But once that that shit happened to Oak, I became a Nets fan. Especially once Oak started showing up to Nets games, I was like, all right, I'm a Nets fan. And it's crazy because I ended up getting season tickets. Right before they got KD and Kyrie, mm. like maybe like a month before, because I knew that I was like, they're going to get somebody. And, you know, for the first time I can actually afford these, let me try and get, let me just try and get something. And worst come to worst, like if I can't make a game, I could probably sell it. And then, you know, it was like hitting a lot of those yeah. tickets. Yeah, inside trading. <laughs> that's how I feel. That's how, that's how I felt. <laughs> Let's talk about let's let's jump to fil- yeah you know filmmaking, right? Yeah. It's it's like moving to the next phase of of, of your life, right? Uh, college, right? You you were you were you know I would tell you were a political science major that 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 turned, 
you know, that film enthusiast, right, at, at, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You went to Vassar College, if, if, if I'm yeah. not, okay. Yeah. Um, what, what, what sparked that? Like, what sparked that switch? So, um, you know, I wanted to study writing uh, at Vassar. Actually, it's in high school, you know, like I said, I wasn't a good student. And, and I remember um, my junior year, I took this creative writing course um, with this teacher named Mr. Eric. And it was the first time I'd ever gotten, you know, um, any kind of praise uh, for my academics, you know, doing well in that class. It was my first time since like fifth grade. And um, I just found something I took to in a way that I I hadn't taken anything else really ever. Uh, And so I knew I wanted to write short stories. I knew I wanted to be a writer. I went to Vassar thinking I'd be able to take a creative writing major and there was no such thing. And so I was taking political science just because, you know, I come from a, a very, uh, you know, not politically in terms of, you know, our political parties, but politically in terms of the way that they, the folks think. I come from that kind of family and that kind of background. So I said, okay, I'll take this, you know, studying critical race theory, things like that. And um, it, my junior year in college, my best friend, Chris, who's my editor to this day, uh, he was a film major at, at, at Vassar. And, in order to take, you couldn't take production courses until your junior year at Vassar. So your first two years of, of filmmaking, of, of, you know, your film major, you were just taking theory courses. And so junior year, he starts to pick up a camera and he's like, yo, this is ace. You know, you'd really enjoy this. Um, and so he came to me and, and I, I was like, you know what, let me see if I can double major in filmmaking and in political science since I've already fulfilled my political science prerequisites. Maybe I can just do, take nothing but film courses and take the production courses while I take the theory courses if they'll allow it. And they allowed it. But then without them knowing, I just dropped the theory courses and was just taking production courses for the next two years. Uh, and that was when, you know, once I got, because filmmaking married my love of, of, you know, storytelling, love of music, because I was really obsessed with music and, and wanting to specifically produce music. Um, and, and so even though this wasn't quite music production, it was an opportunity to um, marry visuals with sound, which was something that, you know, I, 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 I'm not, I never felt like I'm, I'm not Jimi Hendrix in the sense I can see music and see colors, but I, I did always, music was always a very visual thing for me. Um, and so that the opportunity to, do that as well. It was just all these things that I, I didn't think of myself as having a visual sense back then. Um, but I, I actually could think in pictures, you know, I think so. I had, I had enough of an innate ability to build upon that. You know? Right. Well, so was, was that, was that like, um, was that a transformative experience or, or for you or you just like, and you've been hooked ever since or, or did it grow on you like throughout throughout your time it um i mean i think it was i think it was i just took to it i know i I could tell i took to it because i would always be the last person in the edit room you know what i mean like from even when i was at vassar you know like i would look up you know at like 5 a.m and it'd be me and maybe like one other person so i was like i was and it and i for a while i i made around the same time i made beats as well and i remember i didn't like I, I I had a, you know, I run out of gas when I was doing that. Maybe four hours in, I'd be like, oh, I'm bored of this. I want to do something else. And I never felt that with filmmaking. 
you know, I, to this day, I can edit a piece of material until, you know, my eyes are, are closing. Uh, I just love, you know, I, 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 I get obsessive, you know, about so it. So when you, when, um, when you say, not to cut you off, when you say you ran out of gas, like you just hit roadblocks, like you just couldn't, you know, you couldn't follow through with on the creative side. Like what, what, what was, yeah. what's that like? What's that like when you say you ran out of gas? It would actually, it actually was disappointing because, um, I just realized that as much as I love this thing, I'm a listener. I'm not a creator of music. You know, um, I didn't enjoy the creation of music. I would be in the studio with my friends and I would want to be doing something else. Mm. Uh, and that was, that never felt that way in editing a movie. You know, even when, you know, you, when you first get back your footage, you always think it's the worst thing you ever made. You always are just like, this is terrible. How am I going to figure this out? But, and that never goes away. But, right. um, but you know, as soon as it, you go through all of that, me, I'm like, okay, let's get to work immediately. And I will be there until this, I can make sense of this thing that we shot. I never felt that way with music. Was there, was, was there like a certain, like a certain film uh, or, or, or mentor or, any, anyone that you had in your life that like inspired you to become a, a filmmaker? Cause I know you said you was into music, but who or what inspired you to get into filmmaking? Or was it, or was it, or was it just part of the whole creative process, whole right? Thing. Like it was all, it was, all, it was the, it was part of the creative process. Like, <clears throat> you know, I tell people all the time, like my creative inspirations artistically, a lot of them come from music, you know, like, um, when I learned about the way that Miles Davis collaborated with other artists, oh. that was, that exploded my mind. I was like, yes, you know, this is, I want to take a page out of that book. Um, you know, just what, you know, Madlib and the RZA, you know what I mean? The way in which they produced work, the way in which they layered until the way in which, you know, Madlib is like, it's done. You know, it, it doesn't have to be clean. It doesn't have to be perfect. I, he likes the mistakes. I was right. like, yeah, I gravitate. I like that texture. You know, um, a lot of my a lot of my heroes I found artistically in, in filmmaking come come from music. What were some of the lessons you learned from that? You know, from 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 I was I would say making say newlyweds, right? Like, what was some mm -hmm, of the, mm -hmm. the the you know the the lessons that you learned from making newlyweds and. Like how, how did that shape that kind of your work today? You know what I'm saying? I think one was um, just really being open, you know, because that was a film that uh, so much, especially in the latter half of the film, changed and was developed on the fly. You know, um, when, you know one of my favorite scenes is, is, this, is this moment where... Um, my friend, rest in peace, Paul Coyzan, is lighting his chest hair on fire. And he's, you know, everybody's high in this basement. And, you know, Lyle has never, he's never gotten high. He's never gotten high with white people before. <laughs> he's never gotten high, you know, in, in like a Long Island basement. And so it's, he, he, it's a very, it's very much like this is a different experience for me. You know what I mean? And he's, he's very high. And in the midst of his experience, he sees this guy he's just met setting his chest hair on fire. It's like very crazy, zany character played by my, my friend, Paul Corzine. And um, Paul is setting his chest hair on fire. And that happened because he was doing that. The camera wasn't rolling. He was doing that just because that's, that's how Paul was. 
And someone tapped me like, yo, look at your boy. And I was like, put, turn the camera on. Let's start shooting that. Oh, let's actually change the scene to be about this. And, let's, mm-hmm. and you know, it was just a moment that, that came about because I was just open. You know, the, the end of the film was very different than the one that we scripted. I hated the scripted version. Uh, and we happened to be, you know, in shooting the scripted version, we shot the scripted version before what, what you see in the film. And there was a shot uh, of the last shot of the film where you see Lyle and Nina, because in the, in the scripted version, they were supposed to end up together. And in the movie, they don't, which I like a lot more. And in the, in the last shot of the movie, you see them in this cab and you see the reflections of the trees on the uh, window, on the car window. And uh, the reflections are obscuring their faces. You can't really see who's inside. You've seen Lyle enter the car alone, but you've never seen, you haven't seen who's inside the car with him. And I remember seeing that shot and as the reflections died down, you reveal Lyle and in the car with Nina and this leaf falls. And, and I just remember saying, wow, that looks like a dream. And in realizing and looking at that footage, it looks like a dream. I said, you know what? It should be treated as a dream. He shouldn't end up with her at the end. Since let's, let's go back and change that and, mm. you know, have a more satisfying ending. And so just being open was, was, was a big thing I got from. Well, that was the inspiration from, that was the Mad Lib, you know, inspiration right there too, right? Just going and, and being able to yeah. make that, uh, that adjustment on the fly and being able to adapt, you know, like, like you said, you didn't like that part of the script. So when you seen something, it just, it just clicked. Yeah. And that, you know, that's, when you're creative like that in, in whatever genre, you got to be able to go off the fly like that. You have to be able to adapt to any situation, to your surroundings, because a lot of times that's what make the project or that, that's what gets you over the, or, you know, over the hump when you're just able to, I know I can't, I know I can't go straight. I'm going to go left to get back on this road right here. Though. Yeah. And we're going to, and we're going to, we're going to make it work. What would be like out of, out of the lessons learned, what would be your message to like your younger self, you know, in, 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 filming newlyweds like what what's what's that message yeah. like what you know now knowing what you know now what would be your message to your younger self it would be two two things two big things i think one would be just about patience and that there is no the destination is you know the destination is the journey in art in art making in, in the making of art it really probably in, in most things in life you know um with newlyweds i had very set plans of Okay, I do this, and then this happens, and then this. Ha- in terms of my career, right. this will happen. Okay, I'll, do, I'll hit this mark, and then this will happen for me. Hit this mark, and this will happen for me. By the way, you don't control what happens for you. <laughs> you know what no. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you don't have no control over that. All you can control <laughs> is what you do. You know. Um, and so, you know, I think one thing would just be to. It's like goals. Goals are healthy. Expectations are not. Mm. you know um and so that would that be one thing I, I would definitely like try to drill in my head but you know i also recognize <laughs> that you got to learn shit you know what i mean like Absolutely. you got to learn it you got to learn it on your own you can't no one can tell you you know uh, no one can really people can give you advice but no one can really teach you anything you could you could prepare for the fight until you get hit in the face once Exactly. Until, you get, until you get that exactly. first punch, then you now now the fight exactly. starts at, at, at that point. Exactly. Now it's gonna see what you stand on and what you what what you what you really made of and what you really about.
let's switch it over to you know Judas in the in the in the, in the Black Messiah, which is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I think what you did with that is a mess. It's a masterpiece. I think that story was it was it was timely. Uh, I think the message was needed, and I think people really needed to see, you know, that story in that light at that time. And it, it, you you couldn't have did a better job with with that story. So I'll I'll, I'll cheers to you on hey, for, you. for, for that you. one for for, for, for sure. <laughs> but because it's 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 truly a masterpiece and was, you know, it was nominated for you know five I think five Academy Awards or something like that. Um, how did that film come to be? I mean, we know the story, right? People are know the story. People heard of the story, but for you to flip that story in the way that you did it and, to, and tell it the way that you told it, how did it come about? So I was making a, I, I made a like a pilot presentation for Killer Mike. This FX show was my first professional job, and it ended up not happening. But uh, on that shoot, I met the Lucas brothers. We Ooh. became friends, and um, one day we're hanging out, and uh, they said you know, we have this idea for a movie we want you to co-write with us and, and direct. And uh, they asked me if I was familiar with Fred Hampton, and I was. And then uh, they asked me if I was familiar with William O'Neill, and I was not. I'd never heard of him. And so they told me, this is, and this was, they didn't know the history, and, and really no one knew. I didn't find this out until uh, I actually met with Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. But what they'd heard and what people had been, you know, saying for years was that William O'Neill was Fred Hampton's bodyguard and uh, that essentially he'd drugged him the night before his assassination and provided the FBI the blueprints to his apartment. Was well, so, that, that those are facts? He wasn't. Those, so, so it is, it is a fact that he did drug. It's, it's pretty, I mean, I don't know who else could have drugged him. Right. 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 It's that type it's, of situation. I think it's safe to say, I, it, I think it's very safe to say that he, he drugged him. And he absolutely gave the FBI the blueprints to his apartment. That's undeniable. Um, you know, but he wasn't his bodyguard. He wasn't his bodyguard. That's not correct. Uh, he, he, he was a member of the security cadre, and he did drive him from time to time. He, 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 he did drive him from time to time because he had a, vehicle, a motor vehicle, and those were hard to come by. Uh, but he wasn't his bodyguard. But anyway, <clears throat> they said, you know, they, they told me that information. They said they wanted to make a movie about these two that they envisioned as the departed set inside the world of COINTELPRO. Ooh. And I was like, yo, let's do it right now. <laughs> like, we have to make this right now. It just was too, it was too perfect a vessel because I recognized what the industry was like and the, the challenges of trying to get a movie about Chairman Fred made in the, in the studio system. But to me, this was a way where you could get a movie like that made in the studio system and you could get people who weren't interested in this history interested in this history, you know, because you're making like one of the things that I, I always love is when people are like, yo, it was like a gangster movie. And I'm like, that's exactly what the trailer is supposed to make you feel. That's what these moments are supposed to make you feel. It's supposed to be like, yeah, I did see that in, you know, this Sydney Lumet movie or this Martin Scorsese movie, that, that text or that feel. You know, even though it's in a completely different world, you know. Um, and so once they once they brought me that idea, I just was like, we we got to pursue. So I just went nuts with it. So I mean, and then you, I mean, you could tell you fucking did your thing on that. Like you dove head first into that. So and as a as a fan, as a as a fan of that history, as a fan of of, of Fred Hampton's story, and you know, 
the Panthers and, you know, we can go on and on and on about that. The way you brought that story together, right? What was it, what was the challenge though? Because we, you know, it was all good. It was great. But what was that? I'm, in, the, in the art of filmmaking, it got its, its challenges, right? No matter how yeah. great of the story it is. What were some of the challenges when, when you know, when, when directing this and, and the, the script biggest, and all the of that? The biggest challenge, the biggest challenge for a movie like that is you're trying to balance and navigate hist- history and, you know, dramatic license as a filmmaker and as an artist. Hardest thing, to, hardest thing to balance because you're also talking about a history that's sacred, 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 sacred to so many people. Sacred in the sense of when you look at what the FBI and the United States government did to the Panthers, for some members of that community, that history and that legacy literally is all they have. You know, I'm talking about people who they were imprisoned, their family members, their loved ones imprisoned. To this day, to this day, you got, you know, I mean, Sundiata Kohli. Mumi Abu Jamal. To this day, old men, you know, old men and women, Assad Shakur in, in, in exile, you know, and, and I mean, Maroon, Russell Maroon Schultz, like to this day, so many Panthers in prison um, and, and, and freedom fighters in prison. So you, it, it was like, you can't just say, well, it's more convenient for the film if we do it this way, you know, or it's, you, you couldn't take shortcuts, um, which you need to make a movie, not just narratively, but a lot of times just to get your budget. You know, like something is, you know, we had to sometimes combine two, three characters into one character because we couldn't afford to hire three actors. Wow. How do you, ba- how do you balance that? Wow. You know, so it was very hard. It was very, that was challenging and it was a gift for us to work with Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. and Akua Najiri because they could be like, listen, this one, you can't, you can't. Yeah, you can't mess with that, that one. Yeah, you know, you leave that one alone. can't mess with right, that one, indeed. you know? And it was like, okay, we gotta, so we have some, we have some boundaries that, that are set by someone other than us. Because if, if it was left up to, if we hadn't had their involvement, we would have made so many mistakes that would have hurt so many people. And in our minds, we would have said, oh, it's just a small thing. You don't know it's a small thing unless, until you, you know, you've been through that process. As anybody, when you, when you think about it that way, like, you know, somebody goes to your house and they pick up a glass and the glass breaks. But that's like that glass has been your family for, <laughs> you know, a hundred years. And it just looks like a regular glass. It's just like that, you know. Henry, you say you had sometimes you had to put three characters into one. Like, how did that, how did that, that actor react to that? Well, the actor wouldn't know. Oh, he know? wouldn't know. But he wouldn't, the actor would, for example, you know, like, well, in this case, you know, they did know. Uh, <laughs> you know, Ashton, Ashton Sanders, who plays Jimmy Palmer. Yeah. That was initially, you know, like, that was based on uh, a, a panther named Larry Roberson, who was killed, killed by the police uh, when he intervened in, you know, some hara- they were harassing some elders in a, in a grocery store. He intervened and, and words exchanged and gunfire was exchanged. He, he ultimately, he was shot and then he was, while he was in the, in the hospital, he was, many people suspect, killed in the hospital. Um, 
and you know, that was one where because there were other aspects of the character that were not like Larry Roberson, but that we needed for the movie. Mm. Because, you know, that character, if you look at the film, every character plays a role. And one of Ashton's role, one of Ashton's role, I remember I told Ashton when we sat down, because he was initially cast as Jake Winters. Um, and I said, he was cast as Jake Winters and I saw a photo of him on Instagram, right? And uh, just his personal style. It was just him as him. And I said, man, I said, you a 60s nigga, man. I said, you, I was like, I was like, you can't, I was like, we need one. I was like, we need one guy in this movie that like feels like dudes from that ever. Who, who really, and I was like, and Ashton, I was like, yo, bro, like you really are really one of those dudes from that. I was like, you're just not from today, man. And I was like, so we need a guy that looks like that and a guy that, you know, he doesn't say a word. He has like very few lines in the movie, but the way that he carries himself physically, we put those clothes on him, the way that he smokes a cigarette, it immediately evokes in your mind, yes, 1960s, 1970s. I've seen this guy, you know? And he was, he was really a big part. His character was really a big part of setting the time and place. But Larry Robeson wasn't that kind of guy. Mm. You know what I mean? Larry Robeson wasn't, he didn't drink. You know, I don't think Larry Robeson smoked. He wasn't that kind of guy. So it was like, okay, we can't portray Larry Robeson in that light. We also need this. We need to show that the Panthers, you know, would intervene if regular citizens were being harassed and they would face the wrath of that decision, you know? So how do we juggle these two things? And I remember it was something that we spoke about with Jim Fred and Jr. because he was the one who was like, yo, Larry Robeson didn't drink. Larry Robeson didn't smoke. That can't be Larry Robeson. And I was like, okay, well, what if we change the name to Jimmy Palmer? You know, is that something that would, you think would be permissible? And he was like, it's not my fate. He's like, it's not my, <laughs> I don't love it. I don't love it. But in negotiating, I will, I will allow that to, to happen, you know? Um, so it's things like that. I mean, and, and that's like, that was an easy one. I mean, we yeah. had, we had conversations that we couldn't figure out a solution until, you know, the 25th hour on set. and it was just like, you know, I hope we figure it out because no one's satisfied. Family's not satisfied. We're not satisfied with, with, you know, doing things the way they'd like. How do we find that common ground? It was, it was, it was, I, I don't think I'll ever experience anything that difficult in making a movie again. So what, what, what was the family satisfied? With the film ultimately? Yes. Very, okay. very, 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 very happy with, very happy with the film. Very happy with what it's done cheering for Panthers' legacy um, and the Panthers' legacy. Just everyone played their played their part. Every single bot, every single person played their part. And you needed that. You needed you needed everybody to play their role. So what's next? What's what, what's next for you? What's 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 on the table with you? What's what's going on? I'm I'm producing. I'm doing a lot more producing now for for TV and movies. I just um it hasn't been as it's going to be announced, but uh, I got a first look deal somewhere uh, in TV. Um, somebody some being doing some producing there, and then myself, Ryan, Charles, and Rel are uh, teaming up to do a, a movie, make a movie, hopefully shooting in fall of next year. I hope. Um, that I can't talk a lot about, but it's it's about political insurrections in this country, in this country, and it's like 
it's it's gonna be an insane, insane, insane movie. Right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I already I can hear it. I know, I know, I, I know you. Yeah. I know you want to say something about it, but you, I know how that game goes. I, 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 I already, I already know how that goes. You want to say some shit, but it's like you got people over your shoulders. You gonna get a phone exactly. call after you. Exactly. 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 I, I, I already know how that goes. Let, let's 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 bring it back to kind of what's in your glass, right? I, I got a few kind of quick fire questions for you to kind of close out. Um, you know, the, the, the people and, and like, and I always like have to know, um, you know, what's in your glass for like special occasions or, or some occasion. So we're going to do yeah. some quick fires. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be, you know, a label specific, but what's, what's your go-to wine and drink? You, you get, you get, you yeah. get where I'm coming from. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. you, you, you're unwinding after a long day, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's, what's your go-to? If I'm unwinding after a long day, probably a chill red. I'm probably gonna go with a chill, a chill natural red, um, juicy, fruity, uh, with carbonic maceration, so it's got like a little bit of bubbles to it. Yeah. So you might want to go to champagne, man. You. <laughs> but I, but it's the bu- what I love about the carbonic <laughs> maceration is that you're like, is that bubbles or is that just like my my, right. my mouth? Right. You know what right, I mean? Like right. it's so subtle. You know, like, and it's and it's only for maybe the first ten minutes, and then it's gone. You know what I mean? uh, <laughs> it get flat. It get flat that. after that. It gets flat. Exactly. 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 <laughs> what you you you're out at you're out at a nice restaurant. Mm-hmm. What what you going to? Gruner. I'm getting a Gruner. Mm. I'm getting a, I'm getting a Gruner. Okay. Yeah. You are you you celebrating a big win, a new project. You just, you just, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah just came out. The world is on fire. You want to celebrate. What you, what you, what you going to? Valentine Triple X. Oh, oh, you, you was, re- you was ready for that. You was ready for that question right there. <laughs> nah, I'm going to probably drink, I'll probably drink some champagne. Okay. Okay. Nightcap. What's your nightcap? You just winding down, rum. relaxing. Rum. rum. Okay, so, rum. Yeah. Puerto Rican rum, it's, Dominican rum. I'm gonna tell you specific. I'm gonna, I'm <laughs> yes, gonna, what, what rum is it? Zacapa 23. I love it. Or El or El Dorado 12. I haven't had um, the El Dorado. I had the Zacapa. Zacapa is incredible. Zacapa is incredible. Yes, but all all that 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 type of rum, that's like my favorite, man. You know, like uh, just rocks, no rocks. And I actually had an old fashioned with made with Zacapa recently, and I was oh. like. Uh, old fashioned. Yeah. I gotta try that. Yeah. I, gotta, I gotta try it's that. Crazy good. I gotta yeah. try that. I have. I haven't. I haven't had the the Zacapa old fashioned. Yeah. That's new. I might have to. You know, make it's that a house. Make bro. that a household drink over here. It's dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. Bro. It's dangerous. <laughs> nah, but shock man. I just want to say thank you, man. You know what I'm saying? Like we 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 at the end. I just want to say thank you so much. Um, you know, for just joining me for a glass, and you know, it's five o'clock, six o'clock, midday. Bro, uh, it's, ha- it's, it's happy man. hour. It's, it's happy honor. hour. You know what I'm saying? And it's a it's a true honor, bro. I want to I want to just you know say best of luck to you and with everything you have going on, man. And, and, and anything we can talk about, we can speak about, we can collab on. I'm I'm here for you. You know, let's let's work. Yeah. Let's get something popping. But you know, I just want to say thank you again, man, and cheers. Yeah. Cheers, bro. Thank Cheers. you so much. Absolutely. Keep going, my brother. We support you for sure. Thank you. Likewise, man. And I'm so happy to see what you're doing out in Portland, man. Appreciate that. <laughs>